the early 1920s, and there are a group of young people in New York City, and they want to change the world. And there's a group of young people in England, and they want to change the world. And there are groups of young people all over Europe, and they're tired of the way things have been going, and they want to change the world. And they don't believe in all this nonsense that they've been brought up with, all these religious cliches and, and all of this dogma and all of these traditions that don't seem to be changing anything. There's poverty all over the world. And they want to change things. They want to make their lives count. Many of them found the writings of Karl Marx, the thinker who formed the Marxist concepts named after him, which then later formed into the, the revolutions around the world, which then formed communism. In the early stages, those, those very thoughts were designed to try to help the world, and yet it almost destroyed the world. Joseph Stalin himself, one of the great leaders, one of the most horrific leaders in the 20th century, whose leadership ushered in the killing of 20 million, 20 million innocent lives in the 20 years he was in power in the Soviet Union, was one of those young people. But there was another young person around that same time. Her name was Dorothy Day. She was an atheist at the time. She boozed it up with her friends. Sex was easy and free because she'd thrown away all of the rituals of her culture. And she wanted to make a difference in her life. There's a movie out. Uh, I'm not sure if it's hit the theaters yet. I was privileged to be able to see a director's cut of this movie, from which we're going to show a film clip today. Dorothy Day wanted to live a life that was full of life. In one of the scenes early in the, in the film, she's with one of, her, one of her boyfriends. She's in her early 20s, and they're walking. They're a little bit drunk. They're walking down the street. They're not completely drunk. At least she isn't. He may be. And he's uh, waxing eloquent about all the philosophy that he's planning to live out for his life. And she says this. She says, I'm, I'm so restless. I have something to give, but... But I just don't know what it is. I have something to give, but I don't know what or who I'm supposed to give it to. I know I want to live fully. I want to do things that no one has ever done before. And then her boyfriend, someone drunk, twirling around in the street, playing the fool, says, well, it's all about eating, drinking, making love, being merry, because tomorrow you're going to die anyway. And the camera swings over to her face, and she says, oh no, I want more. And he says, well, then I'll throw in poetry, too. Drinking, you know, be together, sex, and, and poetry, too. We'll get sophisticated. He was a poet. And she says, oh no. She said, I want much more. I want much more. She was restless. She wanted to make a difference, but she didn't know what or to whom she should give this contribution. Later in her life, as she went through several boyfriends, became pregnant and had an abortion because her boyfriend pressured it in, her into it, saying he would be there for her afterwards. 
and literally left while she was in the middle of the abortion. When she came out, there was no one there for her. She had another man who became her lover. She became pregnant again. He stayed with her. She had the baby. But when she mentioned marriage several years later, he said that wasn't the deal. Because we're in this new way of thinking. This brand new way like no one's ever thought before. And I don't want to be caged up. And he left her. Two men, two pregnancies, one child, two abandonments. That's the way the disciples felt. They felt a bit like Dorothy. They, they, were, they were young people. We tend to picture the disciples with big long beards. Not true. That was maybe true later in their lives. But when they were following Jesus, they were in their, some of them in their teens and some probably in their 20s. Probably none of them more than 30 years old. They were quite young. Probably early 20s, most of them. And they wanted to make it, they were restless. They wanted to do something with their lives that counted. And they ran into this man, Jesus. He snuck up on them. And there was something about him. There was a look in his eye. There was a vision in his words that stirred their blood. And they wanted to change the world. They wanted to make a contribution. Now we've been talking about Jesus in the Gospel of John all year long. And we're at that segment now where it's at the end of his physical life on earth. It's at the end and he's on his deathbed, so to speak. He's around a table, though. He's not really dying yet, though the next day he'll be dead. And he's talking to his followers. To the twelve, including Judas, who would betray him that very night. And perhaps to some of the women who are mentioned in Luke 8. Many scholars say that, that the, the women followers of Jesus, whom it says, followed him all through Galilee. That was his whole Galilean ministry, probably a year long in time. And it followed him all the way down to Jerusalem and stood with him at the cross and, and went to his grave. They may have been there at that last supper. We don't know for sure, but it's certainly not precluded in the scriptures. And so they're gathered around this table and he tells them he's going to die. He tells them he's going to be betrayed. And, and, and we've looked at a couple passages before today where he said, look, I'm the vine, you're the branches. Stay attached to me and your life will prove fruitful. But apart from me, you can do nothing at all. On Monday, we looked at the passage where he said, if you love me, you'll obey my commandments. And if you obey my commandments, you'll love me. And if you do both of those, there'll be a presence that will come stand with you because I'll pray to the Father and he'll send the comforter, the Holy Spirit, the encourager. And he'll walk with you, alongside you. He'll be resident within you. After he'd said these things, or actually during this supper, I'm taking it out of order, he did something else. He told us to stay attached to him. He's told us to obey his commandments, which were in the context of his last supper, his deathbed discussion with the disciples. His commandments were to love each other the way he had loved them, to stay unified, John 17, and the one we're going to look at today which I'll mention in a moment. So they're at the table, and apparently at the table and before, they'd been having an argument amongst themselves. And one of them was saying he was greater than the others. Kind of a great scene, isn't it? Following the Lord of love and arguing about greatness on, while he's on his deathbed. And they're arguing about greatness. It's unbelievable. And, and probably, or at least possibly, 
they should have washed one another's feet. And once in a while, disciples would wash the feet of their teacher. But in fact, there was a law in those days that you couldn't even force a slave to wash, a Jewish slave to wash a Jewish person's feet. It was considered so low that it was for only foreign slaves to do. But occasionally, a disciple of a great teacher might wash his feet. But Jesus did something very strange. He did what scholars call a prophetic action. In the Old Testament, Ezekiel one time lay on one side of his, he lay on the ground in the dust on on his side for up to a year. And then they said, why are you doing this? Why are you doing this? And then after a year, he finally rolled over to the other side. And he stayed there. And then at the end of all this time, he said, this is what it will be like for the nation of Israel when the hordes come in and when they attack this city. It'll be for a year and a half on this side. And he goes on. He uses these fairly strange ways of communicating. Well, Jesus became prophetic in his actions that night. Because he rose from the table, but John tells us something about Jesus and what was going on inside Jesus. John tells us that he rose from the table. He knew, one, his hour had come. The hour that he kept saying all through the Gospel of John, the hour's not here yet, the hour's not here yet, the hour's not here yet. He knew now the hour had come. He knew his hour had come. Second thing John says is he knew where he came from. He came from the Father. And he knew where he was going and to whom he was about to return to the Father. And he knew that God the Father had put all things in his power. At that moment, he was the most powerful human being on the face of the earth. He could have called in power to create a nuclear explosion if he wanted. He could have called in 10,000 times 10,000 spiritual beings called angels. Not little fluffy things with white wings, but powerful beings that if one walked in here and stood here, you would be tempted to worship him or her. You would, you would, you would want to fall. You would be scared. He had all the power. He knew where he came from. He knew where he was going. And then he stood up from the table and performed this incredible prophetic action. You know what it is. They were around a table that was low to the ground, probably a circular table, and there were cushions around it. They weren't tables like we have. And they would, they would recline up against the table on their left side, and they'd reach for food like this, and their legs would be like spokes around the wheel. And Jesus arose from there, and he took off his outer clothes, and he, and he pulled up, his clothes like this and gird them and tied them around his waist like a servant would do. And it would have been an appalling sight. And then he got a pitcher and perhaps a basin and a towel. And he went around the outside and you know what he did. He washed their feet. Their feet were probably actually literally dirty because they'd been arguing about who was greatest and probably their feet had gone unwashed. And they were horrified at his correction. And he went around to each one. If it was only the 12 men, it still took quite a bit of time for him to kneel down. To pour the water over the feet. To wipe them, to wash them, then to rinse them, then to get more water, then to move to the next one. This didn't happen in two minutes like when you read it in the scriptures. 
This probably took 20 or 30 minutes as he washed each of their feet, including Judas Iscariot's feet, the man who would betray him in less than an hour. I talked about Dorothy Day in the beginning of this. She ran into some people who wanted to change the world too. But they were believers in Jesus Christ. And slowly but surely she began to set aside her atheism and entertain the idea that maybe the contribution she could make and the person she should make it to were to Jesus and to the poor. And she began to meet Jesus in the face of the poor because the people she ran into later in her life, not much later after she'd been abandoned by these two men, they were caring for the poor in a small rural town. And she began to care for them and they began to teach her about Jesus. And she began to experience the love of Christ in her life and the forgiveness of Christ for her past. And her life began to change from the inside and God gave her a great heart for the poor. She moved into the city, into her brother's home and his wife's home. It was the middle of the, the, the Depression at this point in the 1930s. And they had this little tenement in New York City. And she ran into a Frenchman there. His name was Peter. He'd been a Roman Catholic monk from France. But he lived amongst the poor. And he was poor himself. He didn't live amongst the poor as a somewhat wealthy man helping the poor. He was poor himself. And he apparently quite a character. But he came into Dorothy's life and he began to teach her all the deep things of Jesus Christ. In rather an odd way, almost a, a prophet type way. And he pushed her and pushed her and pushed her because he knew she had a heart to serve the poor and to care for Jesus in that manner. Well, one by one, she started inviting poor people into her brother's house. And they had to have a little discussion between she, her brother, and her brother's wife about this idea. But their brothers, her brother and her, bro his, her brother's wife, their hearts began to open. And pretty soon, their little tenement had three homeless people, then five homeless people, then 15 homeless people, then 25 homeless people. And we're going to look at a film clip that takes place one evening, late in the evening in this little tenement. And Dorothy, who's a young woman in the, in the film at this point, Dorothy has had an exhausting day of caring for the poor. It's been crowded, it's been cramped, they have no money. And everybody's now finally asleep except for her. She's the only one left up in the house, or so she thinks. And she's tired. And she walks into the living room. And I want you to see what she sees. The man she sees in there is her mentor, Peter, the Frenchman. And he's been working hard all day. And he's exhausted because he's much older than she is. In fact, he dies a few years later. But she thinks she's the only one up. And she walks in and sees her mentor. His name is Peter. And we're going to watch that clip. Living room. I know on the sides it's a little difficult to see. She sees her mentor. He's tired. He's exhausted. But he has an old homeless man there whose shoes have become caked to the blood on his feet. And he's taken one of his shoes off and he's got it in a basin and he's washing it off late at night. She thought she was the only one up. She thought she was the one so tired. And here's her older aging mentor washing the feet of nobody, of a man who would probably die in the next week or two. 
and she kneels down next to her mentor and takes the other other foot of the man and tries to get the shoe off and you see the pain in his face as she has to pull it off and break some of the scabbing. She begins to wash his feet. But then her mentor reaches down to his own feet and pulls off his own shoes and hands them to the homeless man. And he says, here. And the man smiles with surprise and gratitude. And Dorothy looks in horror at her mentor because she knows he has no other shoes. He doesn't have a closet full. These are his only shoes. And he's just given them away. And she looks in horror at him and says, what are you going to do for shoes? And he just gives her a knowing look. Stands up, hobbles on his sore feet out of the room, never answering her question. For him, his life was an answer to that question. God will provide. When Jesus washed the disciples' feet, he said this. He said, I've given you an example. You call me teacher and you call me Lord and rightly so, for I am. Now if I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, then you ought also to wash one another's feet. I've given you this as an example, he says. And blessed are you, now that you know these things, if you do them. Jesus loved his own, and he loved them to to the end. He did this prophetic action to show them that this is one way you can love. The idea of love is not simply to feel good about someone else. It is to desire and to work toward the best for the beloved. That you will actively, love is always active. God's love was so active that he came to this earth. God's love was so active that his son went to the cross. God's love is so active that he sent the Holy Spirit to be with us. God's love is so active that he's infilled people down through the church in all the centuries to care and to love and to preach the good news to the poor and to preach it in deeds as well as words. So you're around the table with Jesus. Or maybe you're like Dorothy in the movie. Do you want to live fully? That's what she wanted. That's what they wanted. Do you have something you want to give, but you just don't know what to give it to or who to give it to? Do you want meaning? Do you want purpose? Will you follow Jesus like the disciples did, like Dorothy did, and like countless millions have done in every every century? Will you allow Christ to give you your identity rather than your career, rather than your money, rather than your good looks, rather than your talents? Will you allow Jesus Christ to give you your soul identity? And will you find your greatness not in arguing about who's greater but in serving other people the way Jesus has served you? In the movie, Dorothy at one point says, you know, the problem with the world is that the thinkers don't act. And the people who are active don't think much. And in following Jesus Christ, we believe, at least right here at Westmont, that we should be thinking and acting 
acting and thinking. Activists who are thinkers, thinkers who are activists. Lovers who are thoughtful, thinkers who are loving. We're supposed to combine those so that we can serve people in the name of Jesus Christ. Will you be an activist for the love of God who's also a thinker? Will you begin by serving those nearest you? Your family, or if you're a student here, your roommates, your professors, or if you're a professor here, your students or colleagues. Will you begin with the people closest by serving them the way Jesus has served you? This is the way of Jesus. There is no other. This is the way of Jesus. It's the way of the towel, and it's the way of the basin. Let's pray. Father, we pray that we might, first of all, desire deep down to live fully. May we desire to do things no one has ever done before. May we desire to have meaning and purpose in our lives. May we decide to follow closely behind Jesus. May we let him wash us of our sins as he washed Peter and the others around the table. May we find our identity in Christ. May we find our greatness in serving. May we be thinkers who are active in the love of God and activists who are thoughtful in their love. May we begin today, Father, by entrusting ourselves more deeply to your Son and by taking his way, the way of the towel, the way of the basin. Help us to live up, to live up to the life that you have called us into, the full life, the life of Jesus Christ, a life of thoughtful love. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you. You're dismissed. <laughs>